Welcome back, listeners. I am your host, the Cinematic Witness and the Herald of the Story Monster. Today, I have two new tales of despair. The first one was inspired by a song called Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. I implore you to look up the meaning behind this song, as it is too tragic for me to repeat. The tale follows a young man who gets all too acquainted with a song of sorrow. People see me as one of those bad boys on TV. The ones that smoke cigarettes in slow motion and wear leather jackets. Maybe it's all the fights I get into. Or my height. The biggest sophomore in school. For whatever reason, I spent the majority of my time with a bunch of idiots doing stupid shit. Cole, Bobby, Princess, and I walked around the neighborhood, our bellies full of malt liquor. We wandered, talked about professional wrestling, and pranks we pulled on people at school. Somehow, we made our way to the old Dunlap house, abandoned since the 1970s. The urban legend told by locals was that the woman who lived there murdered her children and stuffed them in the deep freezer. I heard the father did it, not the mom, said Princess. No, it was the dad that discovered the bodies and called the cops, said Bobby. They say she did it because the jukebox told her to, said Cole. That makes no sense. Jukeboxes play music. They don't talk, I replied. My mom told me that when they kicked in the door, she danced around the place covered in blood, said Bobby. It doesn't matter. Let's check it out. They all looked at me like I rubbed applesauce on their faces. Come on, do you really believe in ghosts? What a bunch of crap. I expected someone to back me up. I don't know, man. It's pretty old. The roof could cave in on us said Cole, as he grabbed the hand of his girlfriend, Princess. I got asthma. The dust irritates my lungs, said Bobby. After my failed attempt at reverse psychology, I decided to go in by myself. What a bunch of pussies. I entered the yard of the vine-covered fence. The unkept grass met the thigh of my jeans. Broken concrete steps led to the black storm door. The paint chipped, and it had strange symbols carved on it. I looked back to three doe-eyed faces. This wasn't my first rodeo. I always did the crazy stuff. They admired me because of it. I couldn't fail them now. I shouldered forward into the dreadful structure. The door swung back. A slither of sunlight beamed on the grimy floor. Decayed boards on the outside covered the windows to my right. A floor model television sat nearby. Tacky, half-torn wallpaper hung from the wall. Pink flamingos with one leg up. In the darkness ahead of me was the dining room. An old fish tank stood with a mysterious green liquid inside. The place smelled like dirty mop water and sweaty ass. I placed my forearm over my nose. Out of the corner of my eye, the glow of several colors blinded me. Green, blue, red, yellow, orange, pink, and purple. I stumbled backwards. Was that there before? 
Behind me, on the left side of the living room, was a digital music jukebox. No way the power worked after all these years. The tube lights flashed in a pattern around the wooden finish. With a life of its own, the spring-loaded aluminum claw lifted a CD. The motor clicked the disc into place. On the small LED screen, the name of the song formed into digital letters. Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. His voice was deep and garbled as if he was underwater. The door to the entrance slammed shut. Then, the jukebox started moving in a half-circle motion away from the wall. It revealed a hidden entrance. A shrill voice pierced my ears from the shadows. Oh, how I miss my And now, a word from our overlord and sponsor, Anchor.fm. Follow the Story Monster on Facebook.com slash The Cinematic Witness and on Instagram at Instagram.com slash The underscore Story Monster and on Twitter.com slash The Story Monster. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. The final tale for this episode comes with a warning. Descriptions of graphic violence and sensitive topics proceed with caution and beware the Inanis. The Vampire, or Upir, is one of the most feared throughout history. However, there is one among them that is exceptionally odious. This demon is spawned from the most tragic of circumstances. It is called the Inanis, a Latin word for empty. They are called this because their appetite cannot be satiated nor their thirst quenched. Unlike its kin, it is not born or turned with a bite. Inanis are impregnated women killed unjustly before or during childbirth. Needless to say, they are exclusively female. If the child is spared, the soul of the mother could pass on. On the other hand, if the infant does not survive, a deal is made. Mammon, Lord of Greed, promises to reunite them with their babies. As payment, they must roam the earth and feed on our flesh until the end of days. Many consider this to be a deception to collect innocent souls. Whether this promise can be fulfilled is unknown, as the apocalypse has not yet come. Every life taken by the Inanis is sent to hell and delivered to Mammon. Inanis are also called the children of gluttony. They hunt alone and can be found in forests, graveyards, tunnels, and abandoned hospitals. You can identify Inanis from their disturbing appearance. Their round, enlarged bellies and engorged breasts make them a standout from other bloodsuckers. Usually, they are blind. This is a wound inflicted by Mammon himself so they never lay eyes on a child again. Inanis appear decomposed but are in no way zombies. Their sense of smell is keen as well as their sharp hearing which detects sudden movements. Extruded veins cover the body of the Inanis. They have a blue neon glow that is said to be filled with pure hatred, a substance capable of eternal youth. No one can test this theory due to their ability to evade capture. The feet resemble that of the ostrich which allow them to move swiftly and eviscerate their prey. 
with hands larger than a cast iron skillet. Occult scholars designate the predator as a berserk beast. It cannot be reasoned with or stopped by conventional weapons. Magic can hurt or trap the monster. With a dislocated jaw, an inner niece can swallow their prey whole. They do not consume for the sake of hunger. They long to be with child again. This is not attainable, so they eat with the hope that the sensation returns. In his gut is an abyss, which is one proven way to kill an Inanis. It's torn apart by the endless void therein where the belly is punctured. Close contact is not encouraged. Once, a warrior mage managed to do this with an enchanted blade soaked in angel tears. Her apprentice witnessed the event from the sky. As a shapeshifter, he took the form of a bird and escaped the pool of the black hole. We honor her sacrifice. Without it, we would not possess this knowledge. There are a number of ways to determine if an Inanis is in the area. The mass slaughter of livestock and dead plant life, as well as the stench of spoiled milk meant for its unborn offspring. They do not retain mortal weakness or memory save for one, an aversion to the cries of a newborn. The noise is excruciating to them and drives them away. Perhaps it is the single thing in this world that reminds them of their humanity and what they seek to be a mother. The mere fact that such a thing exists is cruel. No curse can compare. To prevent the rise of an abomination such as this, the woman must be avenged within seven days after her death. If the guilty party confesses and pays with his or her life, the Inanis cannot ascend. Long ago, a number of Inanis appeared in the ruins of an old cathedral. A prioress calls the fire. She came upon an unholy practice in the church. Priests take in the poor, not out of benevolence, but for more perverse reasons. When one of the women conceived, they murdered her to keep the truth hidden and buried her in the crypt. Weeks after the structure fell, they came in great numbers. Some turned on each other, then attacked nearby villages. The nun who started the fire also founded a secret order of hunters. They investigated Inanis and executed those responsible for making them. Unfortunately, some crimes go unpunished, as is the case with the wealthy, politicians, and privileged. The abuse of power is normally the reason behind such atrocious events. Philosophers debate that Inanis keep the human and supernatural world in balance. Both species are fair game to the mad creature. It shows no favor for its own kind. In the past, mystical runes indicated the territory of an Inanis. For a while, the different nations enjoyed peace. Life flourished. The population of man grew in number and strength. But so did their lust for expansion and control. Generations pass. Soon, the Inanis became a tale to keep children out of the woods at sundown. Non-humans found themselves hunted near extinction, so they hid in pocket dimensions or other planets. They took many of their spells and grimoires when they left, 
Some remnants can be found, but not nearly enough to keep the Inanis at bay. Despite warnings from the fairy, fey, and goblin folk, mankind became obsessed with industrialization. Landmarks that held the Inanis prisoner fell and reshaped over time. A wave of death spread soon after. To this day, the media wishes to hide the existence of them from the people. Reports can be heard of mudslides and other natural disasters. In reality, these are all failed attempts to stop the Inanis. Next Monday, I'll be interviewing a manga artist and author, Vasenya Lindsay. Mark your calendars for this upcoming episode and follow the hashtag Pulsetober for a visual treat. Until next time, there are tales to be told and I will bear witness. Follow the Story Monster on Facebook.com slash The Cinematic Witness and on Instagram at Instagram.com slash The underscore Story Monster and on Twitter.com slash The Story Monster.